Pod. 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 Welcome back Pod. to another episode of Say Who Say Pod, an episode of the emergency variety. Danny O'Neill. We should I'm have a Christian siren, Capel. right? We should have a... <laughs> yeah, that way you know it's an emergency. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I looked up as I was, I finished writing um, my second story today and just like look in the little upper right corner of my laptop where that's got the date and I see Friday, January 12th. And I'm just like, I was covering the national championship game this week, this week, four days ago. Doesn't feel like it feels like a, a lifetime has passed. Uh, of course, if you're listening to this, you know, Caitlin DeBoer has left the university of Washington after right about 25 months. Danny won 25 games in 25 months. That was a nice little nugget. I thought, um, going to be the head coach at, at Alabama replacing Nick Saban. Washington's head coach is is going to be the guy who uh takes on the challenge of of following the best to ever do it. So I think you know we were recording this week's actual episode, non-emergency episode when the news broke that Nick Saban was retiring and my first thought was this is going to potentially be a problem for Washington. I you know, it was very obvious Kalen DeBoer would be a candidate. His name would be thrown out. Um, soon became obvious that it was uh, going to be even more serious than that. And and here we are. When Saban's retirement, when that when that happened during the show, um, I certainly wondered whether that would contribute to the leverage. I did not think that that was a realistic destination for him. And I think that had more to do with my belief on what Alabama would set up as their criteria as opposed to really anything about even DeBoer's coaching chops. I thought it was, that's a a Midwest guy with no roots in the Southeast whose recruiting has not been the signature of what he's been able to do. That that, that just, that wasn't going to, that was not going to, to fly as an Alabama candidate. And turns out I was wrong because he was, at the very least, pretty high up. Um, if you go down the list of guys who got raises before Kalen DeBoer ultimately accepted the job, uh, he was certainly on their on their short list of candidates. And I I always thought that Michigan was the more worrisome threat for where he might go to, but it turned out. And I think there was a moment yesterday where I had a glimmer of hope when I saw the 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 post on on X, the site formerly known as Twitter, that Kalen DeBoer would be live in studio with Chuck and Buck on Friday morning. And I, I was going to retweet it and say, this would be a weird place to announce you're taking the Alabama head coaching job. And then when I got up and saw that that had been delayed, <laughs> and then there were reports of, oh, it... Troy Dannon and Kalen DeBoer actually meeting and there's some high level. And I was like, those meetings don't usually happen in the morning. They don't usually hash out a contract in the morning. I knew, I I, I knew we were in trouble. When do you think the interview is being rescheduled to? (laughs) Sorry. Well, if, if nothing else, it appears that the, that the university of Washington's protocol for interviews on KJR, because the day that Sark took the USC job, I believe that he was on KJR that morning speaking with their the morning host at the time, Mitch Levy, telling him he wasn't going to take the job. <laughs> yeah, if, uh, remember that well. Um, I will say, like, I, I thought that generally speaking, this was going to be just a little too early for Kalen DeBoer to leave Washington. Not surprised at all that his ambition extends as as high as it clearly does that that he would covet a job like Alabama um which is kind of a weird thing to say i think a lot of coaches would would like to would in theory like to coach at that level would not necessarily want to be the guy who follows Nick Saban i it doesn't surprise me at all that Kalen DeBoer isn't deterred by that i think he's um he's at once very confident and and also i i i don't think 
um, his ego functions in a way where like he'd be concerned that if he failed, his reputation would be sullied and everyone would just look at him as the guy who failed after Nick Saban. Like, I think he'd rather, he'd rather know, he'd take a shot at it and, and, and know that, okay, either I can do it or I can't rather than, than, um, not want to do it for that reason. Um, when I, it was funny, I mean, during the season, I had one person mention to me that he had changed agents to sign with Jimmy Sexton and CAA. And somebody mentioned that to me during the season. And I think it was pretty recent at that point. And I thought, wow. And independently about three different people that week mentioned to me that Kalen DeBoer had just gone with Jimmy Sexton and people who knew him at Washington and were really surprised. Um, and I thought, well, you know, I, it makes sense if you're thinking I'm going to win a bunch of games and go to the playoff this year. I'm sure he had people in his life telling him like, dude, if you want to maximize this opportunity that's in front of you and get paid as much as you can possibly get paid, set yourself up for the future. Jimmy Sexton's the guy you want in your corner. Um, but the other read, especially now that he's left for Alabama to replace Nick Saban, is that he knew this season was going to set him up for a different job potentially, or, or at least be able to have that, that opportunity to look at a blue blood if it came open and being in the CAA client list puts you in way better position to do that than, than not because they're the, you know, they're the, they're the big agency. Jimmy Sexton's the guy, he's got all the, the high profile clients. So when I heard that and when I heard like the word kind of start to get around and then DeBoer mentions that they're, that they're in contract talks, but nothing signed and it's getting delayed. Um, you kind of started to wonder like, okay, this feels like a Jimmy Sexton special one way or the other. Um, and then, yeah, once, once Saban retired, he also represents Nick Saban. Um, so the, the closest comparison to the role that Jimmy Sexton plays in college football is Scott Boris in terms of the sheer number of high profile clients that he has now obviously baseball the powers with the players football it's it's all about the college coaches i mean sexton you mentioned he represents saban but he also represents sarkeesian he also represents mike norvell uh he also he represents dan lanning as well am i right about that i'm not certain on that one i'd, I'd, I'd double check that one and now in retrospect it looks an awful lot like <laughs> The contract extension feels very similar to the media rights deal with the Pac-12. <laughs> I don't want to freak out that it's not here. We're still hearing that it's probably going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> oh, guess what? It's not going to happen. He's going to go somewhere else. So I was told that the final offer to DeBoer was uh, an average in the neighborhood of $9.4 million a year for seven years. With, um, I believe with, with commitments to a, to increase this, the salary pool for assistance. I don't know if it, just short term or over time or what, which are, they're already in a pretty healthy place there. I think they're 11th in FBS among public schools in, in, um, assistant salary. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that there was a compensation package Washington could have put in front of Kalen DeBoer that was going to convince him to not go to Alabama. I think that it is funny because people will say it's not about the money. I agree it was not a purely salary decision, but it's about the money in the sense that Alabama has a lot of it to use in a lot of different ways that Washington doesn't necessarily. Like it's about the money in the sense that you're never going to want for anything. If the game changes or you need to make facilities upgrades or you need to offer some sort of wellness or daily living amenity to your players because that's normal now. They won't bat an eye at it. They'll get it done. So to say it's not about money is silly. It's college football. Everything's about money. It is to say I want to go coach a school that has the resources and the support and the infrastructure to allow me to compete for a national championship on a, on a year-by-year basis. Isn't, isn't that about the money, even if it's not directly about your salary? It's certainly about the resources and the level that you're going to compete at. And honestly, 
It's also about the access to talent. It's what you're going to yeah. expect to recruit at. That that is that is different. Um, there was George Foster uh, is he played in the NFL for a long time as an offensive lineman. He's fairly prominent on Twitter, and he went to Georgia, and he had an exchange. It was I think it was right after the national championship game, but it was talking. He was it was a text message from one of his NFL teammates talking about the difference that teammate had grown up on the West coast and gone to a West coast college. The difference when you talk about in the sec and what it was saying is that the player from the West coast was saying like, I thought we were really serious about football. And then I, I was around sec guys and around and saw how sec teams worked and they have so much institutionally, culturally, like the the level of devotion that happens, the the level of money that there's just a different level of focus, and and that is, I I think that's true. I think that that is, there are a few programs that are going to be able to to command and provide resources at a level that, as of right now, University of Washington can't can't do, and Alabama is certainly at the top of those lists. With that comes an excruciating amount of expectation and pressure. We'll see how it turns out. Look, I'm grateful for what Kalen DeBoer did while, while he was here for his two years. I'm not as mad as some people are because I kind of think that this shows that he was going to be moving on from Washington sooner rather than later. Like that was that was just going to happen. And he happened to win so much so fast that he was able to to pole vault quicker than anybody could have expected. But I'm happy for the ride. This I, I, I don't have any complaints about that. I'm not sure if I'm going to root for him. We'll see. I, I was realizing this on my subway ride back this morning. It's not about pettiness, but there is a part of me that I'm fairly confident he's going to get chewed up by this job. I think anybody is going to be chewed up by this job. And I think that that's part of part of what you take in, in this sort of deal. Yeah, you're never going to want for resources. You're also going to have people calling for your job if you go 10 and 3. That, that's, that's going to happen. People think that Nick Saban has, has kind of slumped because he hasn't won a national title in three years. Brother, that is an exceptionally high bar that you're going to be competing with. Yeah, you could go 15 and 1. I mean, in this new playoff, you got to win a, a minimum of three games in the postseason to win a title. So you you could go fifteen and one, be fifteen and zero, and and lose in that uh, national championship game, and that that's a failure. I I, remember, I mean, when Dabo Swinney beat Nick Saban for the first time in the championship game, I remember. And this is an extreme minority, of course. It was never anywhere near a critical mass, so on and so forth. But it was still funny to search the hashtag on Twitter: fire Nick Saban or fire Saban. There were people using it. There were people who in the moment were looking and saying the only, you know, the only move for Alabama is to move on from Saban. He's lost it. Dabo is the guy. Go get Dabo. Bring him home. So, <laughs> it, that, and, that, and that was for Nick Saban. So that's what it's going to be. I would also say this. I think there was a feeling that Alabama fans didn't think Dabo was good enough this time around. <laughs> there wasn't a huge clamoring for him, and I'm not sure that's because Dabo didn't want to go to that job. Yeah, I, I've been saying this. Dabo gives me late-stage Chris Peterson vibes these days. Like, I oh, he's I would not be surprised. That, isn't he? If, what, what's that? Isn't he too young for that? I mean, doesn't oh, matter when you got a- the money he's got. He did get a black eye. Did you see him show up with a black eye the other day? No. Was it from uh, <laughs> Tyler? From <laughs> I have no idea what it's from. I I think it was at a basketball game, but he showed up and he had a shiner, man. <laughs> oh, I did see. I did see that picture on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like Dabo is a strong candidate, and of course, this is not based on any actual knowledge, but just like watching his demeanor and how miserable he seems to be coaching in this modern era of football and knowing how like staunchly against the transfer portal and how begrudgingly he's accepted NIL and all these things. Like he strikes me as the kind of guy who we're going to wake up one day and boom, Dabo Swinney resigned as Clemson's head coach. What are you talking about? Jesus is their NIL man. You know, yeah. And, and, and you know, <laughs> Jesus uh, only had him win in eight, nine games this year. So 
Or maybe they won 10. Uh, See, maybe they won 10. Maybe the expectations are so sky high. It just feels like they only won eight games this season. But um, for the record, Sexton does represent Dan Lanning, also represents James Franklin and Dabo Swinney. To give you an idea of the kind of footprint that that Jimmy Sexton has among the top tier of college coaches. And Mike Norvell and Steve Sarkeesian. Yep. So how many got of the a lot coaches, of du- a lot of dude raises, a lot of dudes got raises off of this. How many of the guys who got paid off this were legitimate candidates? Do you think? Uh, see, I think Lanning has to have been. I don't know about Norvell. I'm sure Norvell wanted the job. I'm not, if you could choose. If you could choose Florida State in the ACC or Alabama, which would you choose? And I guess you have to make it clear, Florida State at $10 million a year, which is what Norvell's, what I saw the reports of Norvell's new, his 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 new uh, enhanced contract. Yeah, I guess it depends on what you believe about the ACC's future. It just depends, like, what's your, pri- what's your priority? Is it to coach at the best most high profile program you possibly can is it to be a head coach of a power five team for as long as you possibly can because if that had been Kalen DeBoer's priority you don't even consider Alabama he could have stayed at Washington forever as long as they didn't fall off a cliff yeah clearly clearly Kalen wants to see he wants to see if he can get to the summit he 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 wants to see if if I if I take a take this job and I do have sort of everything that I could want in terms of talent base and recruiting and resources for the program. Can I, can I, can I get to the top? Can I get, not just get there, but really stay there um, with the only move after this? Cause the only move after this upward is to the NFL. And I mean, it's a, it's, it's kind of, is it like shooting the moon? No, because he's won everywhere he's been. So I can understand the hunger and the ambition. Um, it is it is a gamble in that that job has a tremendous obviously the pay is incredible and the prestige is top notch there is a lot of pressure there and i i feel like we've lost nick saban's success there has sort of people don't remember what that job has been and the way it chewed through people like bill curry who was really successful there Certainly. And he basically got run out of there after three years and really successful. I think he's like 26 and 10, but he was, he won, won his first 10 games and what turned out to be his final season. He loses to Auburn in the iron bowl and they ended up giving him a contract extension offer that basically didn't meet. Like there were provisions in there where he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And so he stopped being the coach after three years, Gene Stallings won a national title, but it kind of chewed through him. It's a tough job. Um, it, it's it's a really tough job. It's why it, it Steve Sarkeesian made absolutely no sense for that job. And unless you've just got this complex of like, I'm going to prove that I can be just as good as Nick Saban because it, Texas's head coach should never leave for Alabama. Correct. Unless it's gotten to a point at Texas where you're kind of on the outs with the administration. You haven't won a national title. The fans are kind of sick of you. The program's not bad, but it's not great. And you've got some tie at Alabama where they really like you and you think it can work better that like, you know, I'm spitballing, but like objectively speaking without Nick Saban, Alabama is not the number one job. Definitely in the tier, definitely in the top tier, definitely in wherever you delineate what the top tier is like Alabama's part of it. I don't want to say like, Oh, now it's now it's on a, like a fringe top 10 job without Nick Saban. It's in the top tier for sure. But like Georgia and Texas at least are better positioned to remove who the head coach is at any program. Like those two, two schools I'd say would be one and two. I mean, just based on recruiting territory. I mean, at a certain point, resources are what they are. There's all those schools can, can pay for whatever they want, you know, support and donors, all that stuff. Um, so it didn't, I mean, Steve Sarkeesian having Texas winning 12 games and in the CFP in year three should not leave Texas for Alabama. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. And I would say that if you were looking at the, the school's best setup for success, the ones with the most, 
the 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 best setup I think are LSU, Georgia, and Alabama in that they're clearly the three dominant schools in a pretty talent rich state. Louisiana and Georgia have more talent than Alabama does, but Alabama I think has a has a stronger national presence. Um, but Texas, you're never you don't have to leave Texas to win a national championship. Where I can see an argument, I don't agree with it. And I think that this year spoke to the fact that you you can you can do it at Washington. But if you would say that, hey, to get into that upper tier of of success, that you can't really do that at Washington with the resources right now, with the recruiting base and with the the media rights deal, the way it's going to be that you're going to have uh, a, a not a full share in the Big Ten. Throw in NIL to there, too, that you're just you're not you're at a handicap when it comes to competing at that national top 10 program level. I, th- I think that's a fair argument. You you would never say that at Texas. That's not true for Texas. Texas is in maybe the most talent-rich state. It's just that there's a lot of other freaking schools that are there in addition to all the ones that come and recruit there. It's why when schools like Texas and USC keep appearing in preseason top 25 rankings when they haven't done anything in forever and people go, oh, you're you're overrating them again. Why do you keep falling for this? It's like, because they should be that good every year. Yeah. And it's, they got they got some dudes, man. On an yeah. annual basis, it's more likely that they'll be that good than it is not, no matter how not good they were the year before. So um I I feel like Don James's tenure set a sort of unrealistic expectation for how long a coach could stay at a school like Washington. Um and and the game has changed too. The sport has completely it's just changed. A different sport, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not it exists in an entirely different level now. Not so much about Washington, maybe as as college football in general. But you know, I I don't know. It it's I think Chris Peterson was the kind of coach you could expect to stay put long term. He'd done that. He put in eight seasons at Boise, right? And eight, I mean, mm-hmm. eight seasons at Boise from 2006 to 2013 is basically like 18 years of Don James from 1975 to, to 92. Um, and then six years at Washington, and he he doesn't leave Washington for another job. He leaves Washington to, to not coach football anymore. But he didn't do that out of some morality play or because leaving would just be the wrong thing to do. I made these promises to these kids. How could I possibly leave them high and dry? I mean, he did that at Boise. Just like any coach who leaves any job does. He stuck around and didn't want a job hop because he didn't want to, you know, like it was still in, in by no means am I saying like that he should be criticized for, for acting in his own self-interest but like he still acted in his self-interest it's just that his self-interest aligned with the interest of the program he didn't want to be a guy who coached at alabama he didn't want to deal with the headache of texas and it's easy to assign virtue to that and i don't even disagree that like hey that's refreshing right that somebody just wants their program at a pretty high level the resources to to do what you need you're not you know he he wasn't he wasn't the type to to leverage, leverage, leverage every off season. I'm gonna have. I don't know if he even had an agent, to be honest with you. I think he, I think he just worked with like an attorney when it came to contract stuff. Um, so like he was different, but I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like there aren't a lot of guys out there like that, and the ones who are, it's not like oh. Heart of hearts, I'd really love to go to Alabama or heart of hearts. Like I'd love to coach at Tennessee or Texas or Ohio State, but mm, I just I just can't leave this school. I just can't leave these guys. They stay put because that's what they want to do. That's what fits their lifestyle. That's, you know, that's their preference. It just so happens that the preference of 99% of coaches is to chase the the, the shiny thing and coach at the highest possible level you can. Yep. Can I get, how high can I get as fast as possible? And I think the hope was that Kalen DeBoer saw this as a bit of a destination and, and maybe he did. And it's just that they succeeded at a rate that allowed him to hop. But you look now at his work history since leaving Sioux Falls, and it's very clear that he is someone who is trying to move to the best possible job he can get as quick as he can. And there's nothing wrong with that. But 
it also is going to cause me to feel a little bit differently about sort of him than I do about Chris Peterson. And I think that all goes into it. And I will say this too, is you know who can be ruthless and self-interested? Schools. Because Lorenzo Romar was a guy who would have been content to coach at University of Washington for the rest of his career, who won an awful lot early in his tenure. And you know what happened? He got fired because he didn't win enough. And when it comes down to it, everybody advocates for themselves because that's just the kind of country and economy that we live in. On the flip side of that, and I, I don't I don't say any of that to like defend Kalen DeBoer or try to convince people they shouldn't feel negative feelings toward him. I mean, I think that's oh, totally sure justified. They're yeah, they're going to be mad. Are I mean, they especially be as mad as A-Rod, though? Do, do, is because that was that somebody brought that up to me and it feels different to me than than A-Rod. Um, I also think that A-Rod probably gets he is the most high profile of the the the, the traitorous. Uh, it, he he's the biggest trader, I think, in see, the history of Seattle sports, in taking the cash from from Texas. This is a little different because it's not a straight money thing. It's resources. It's not just hey, who's going to be able to to give me the the biggest paycheck? And he was going to a bad franchise. A Rod was, but we also kind of hold it against A Rod in a way we didn't Griffey, and in some ways didn't Russ, even though Russ forced his way out of town too. Do you? How do how do you sense people are reacting? Yeah, a lot of anger. I mean, a lot of I've yeah, had a, people are pissed. A couple people um, close to the program or or who have a vested interest in the program use the word betrayed. Um, you know, I people feel I've had people say they they feel fooled. You know, they they feel like they bought into this idea that this was a guy who cared about more than just getting to the highest level and more than himself and, and building a program. And, you know, of course talks about the principles of his program as, as culture and love and family. And, and, um, you know, they, they, they try to recruit in-state kids on the idea of being loyal to the soil. Right. And, and, and now they'll turn around and do that and at another job. Um, and I, I totally get it. You know, that's, I think it, it, it wouldn't sting as much for Husky fans if they'd gone eight and four the last two years, you know, but the, I think the idea that this guy was coaching your team in the national championship game four days ago, four, four <laughs> days ago, <laughs> earlier this week, accurate to say he was coaching Washington in the national championship game earlier this week. I think it makes people very skeptical that, he had no be. clue this was happening. Now, maybe he didn't. I, you know, I think you'd have to be pretty gullible to to think there there was just I was just as surprised as anyone on Wednesday to see that Nick Saban retired <laughs> and oh, an Alabama area code <laughs> popped up on my phone. I Who's really, this? How, how about this? I really expected when the season ended that we were going to be signing an extension with the University of Washington. Like that's the one where I'm like, okay, shenanigans. Like that is, that is hooey. And I don't begrudge him because that's the way the game's played that he, he slow played his contract extension because he wanted to see what was out there. And he ended up, he, this is a bad beat for Washington. A couple dominoes fell in a certain way and he ended up getting a job that I, I'm not, it's not an, a foregone conclusion that a job like this would have opened up in in this timeline for it to happen but it did and that's how it goes but <laughs> the idea that this was somehow like oh this just came out of the blue no it didn't nope nope this is this was this was lined up so you got that shot and i guess i just come back to like the coaches don't really love you and they love their players but they don't even love their players so much that they won't leave. It's hard for them to leave. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think that that's an easy thing for coaches to do, but they do it. And he did it when he left Fresno state two years ago. And now it's like, you're like, Oh, I can't believe he left. It's like, well, you look at his work history. <laughs> like It's not shocking. You just never think it's going to happen to you. And it did. I wouldn't feel better if he if they had gone eight and four this year and then they'd gone undefeated next year and lost in the national title game and then he'd bounced to 
if it was Alabama that was open then, or if it was some other job, I, I wouldn't feel like, Oh, I'm, I'm more okay with it now. I just, I just generally don't believe coaches when they make their big high-minded, like wordy promises. I, I, I generally think that they're for the most part, pretty self-interested in reciting from a script that doesn't always reflect how the game is going to go. Yeah. Um, I, I think maybe being in the profession and having covered a bunch of different coaches and been around different coaches and heard stories about a bunch of different coaches, both ones who I've covered and, and not, um, it, you, you kind of come to just judge, you know, whether they're a, a good person or an, or a, a decent human being or whatever on, on how they treat people, how they treat mm-hmm. you and how you hear, how you hear about, you know, the ways that you hear about them treating others, the way that you witness them treating others. Um, never heard a single negative thing about Caitlin DeBoer. Never heard a story about him being a different guy behind closed doors or um, castigating somebody or dressing somebody down in front of people or screaming at someone. So like, I, I fully understand fans who say like, well, this guy's just a fraud. I mean, he sat up there talking about, how great Washington was and how it's got the bones of championships and that, yeah, he could see himself here and blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, I like, if you're a recruit or like the parent of a recruit who he looked in the eye and said, yeah, I'm going to be here. I love it here. I'm not going anywhere. Um, you got every right to feel lied to. And like, this guy's no better than anybody else. But I mean, just from, from my position, you know, I, I, saw him as a a pretty normal down to earth guy who treated people well. Um, and I think cares about the people in his orbit and his players and his staff, but he doesn't care about them so much that he's not going to act in his own interest. He's a, he, even, even the, the nice guys in this profession still act in their own interest. And this is, this is a reminder of that. You just said something right there, Christian, about he's not, that much different than anybody else. And I guess that's kind of how I feel. Like if you could sum it up, I think most coaches, there are some coaches that are jerks and behind the scenes, or they act sort of don't treat people particularly well, but for the most part, and especially with their players, like coaches do, do mean it. Like they do, they do try to connect and develop and are, are genuinely, like have have their team's best interest at heart. But everybody also thinks that their coach is just a little bit better and a little bit more virtuous. It'll happen in the NFL sometimes where they'll talk about the the types of players they recruit and that they there's certain kind of players that we don't go after that other that other programs do. And that one I'm always like, yeah. Everybody's about the same. Everybody's about you mean the like same. the Seahawks before they drafted Frank Clark. <laughs> that was the whole thing. Somebody was like just furious at me one day. It was like, you talk about how they're so much better and more moral and ethical than other teams. And I was like, I don't, I've never said that. Like, I don't think that at all. <laughs> they say that. I, 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 when they say that, I think that that's sort of the stuff people say to try and make their fans feel better about it. And I don't, I don't believe that stuff. Um, and that's the way I feel about about Kalen DeBoer. Like, I don't think he's any worse than what most coaches do. Like, that's just how it goes. It is the exception to get somebody like Don James, and it's even rarer now. I think Chris Peterson is the exception in that he was not someone who clearly wanted to move as high as he could, as fast as he could. And even then, he left a team in Boise in in the same sort of, not the same sort of fashion, but he left him, and that's tough. It's also... This is the first time a coach has left Washington in the transfer portal era, um, which is going to destroy the roster. Uh, it, by the way, as we're recording this, I see reports that Will Rogers is already back in the portal. So there goes your your uh, your Michael Penix Jr. replacement, the, which I think it's worth mentioning. Kalen DeBoer's weighing his future. Do I go to Alabama? And who knows how much of a decision it even was. Maybe the the timeline was just details getting hammered out. Who knows? But... Um, gotta think a piece of that was, hmm, Michael Penix Jr. gone, Romo Dunze gone, Jalen McMillan gone, Jalen Polk gone, Troy Fautanu gone, Roger Rosengarten gone, Dylan Johnson gone, Jabbar Muhammad is in the transfer portal. He did not announce he's entering the draft. So that's interesting. 
maybe he would have stuck around. But, you know, the, next year was very much going to be a starting over year from a personnel perspective. And you can't say that he didn't recruit or try to plug those holes with transfers. I mean, they they added a bunch of guys. They're already enrolled, you know, um, Will Rogers being one of them. But I, I do wonder if there was a thought of like, hmm, yeah, next year's going to be a lot harder and we're going to have less of a share. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. I can, I can go to Alabama. Yeah. I, if, if Mike, if, if this was last off season, if my, if, if the whole band was already back together, cause that was a reason Grubb didn't go to Alabama last year was cause he felt like it'd be out of character. He told all these guys, blah, 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 band back together one more year. Let's go. And then he would have, then he would have bolted. Um, would Kalen DeBoer have made a similar decision knowing that you got Penix coming back for another year, all these guys coming back for a year. Would he have, if, if, if they were, if year three was going to be the year for them next year was going to be the year for them. Would that have made a difference? I wonder. Maybe, but at that point, is it different if he leaves a year from now than now for the, for the program? Well, but it would be a different opportunity. I mean, right. you don't you don't know what opens next year and on what timeline. My perspective on this has been that we've clearly seen what Kalen DeBoer's MO is, and so it was just a matter of timing when it came to when he was bolting. And I'm not going to say that it was a bad decision because I've seen some people say they it would they would Washington would have been better off if he had not come here if this was going to be was was going to happen and that's not true but if if it was a matter of if you could just arrange it so he would have found it attractive for another year he was bouncing from here pretty quickly and while this is a particularly difficult moment for it they're probably better set up to withstand it um having it happen now, as opposed to a year ago, right after Jimmy Lake was let go, kind of in the first year post Lake, like they've, they've, they've got some momentum and they should be able to make a pretty good hire. And they've got $12 million now, presumably coming from the buyout that, that will happen. There's, sh- there should be, there should be some, some opportunities here. I, the question I guess now is going to be, what do they do and what are the options that they have at head coach? Um, and the first point question I had is, is, is Grubb going with him or would Ryan Grubb be a candidate for the head coaching job? Well, I have to think he would be. Um, and whether he goes with him would be determined by that, right? Like if, if he's got a shot to be head coach at Washington, he's not going to turn that down to be offensive coordinator at Alabama for Kalen DeBoer, right? I mean, it, I don't know how the timing of that works out. Like, I'm sure Washington is going to talk to other candidates and see what's out there. And I would expect them to prioritize hiring a head coach, someone who's who's currently a head coach, because I think yeah. that's the kind of job this is. I, I um, would, I would tend, I would tend to agree with you. I don't, I don't think turning it over to Grub is the right move. But you need, you need to look at, you need to give Grub a shot. I mean, you need to, you need mm-hmm. to look at it yep. and. I think he's a candidate for sure, but, um, there's no, like he wouldn't be saying, yeah, no thanks. I'm going to go to Alabama and and forget about it. You know, if he's got a shot to be the head coach at Washington, he's got to, he's got to hang in there and and pursue that, um, as much as he can. Is there, is there a name that comes to mind for you? Urban Meyer. Realistic. (laughs) So let's see, let's see. Urban Meyer, Pete Carroll, Chris Peterson, Bob Stoops, anybody else? Uh, I already made a request regarding Pete Carroll, and it turns out that the Seahawks can't just assign him to be the UW coach instead of their special advisor. (laughs) (laughs) I was hoping that they could just make that his assignment, but I've been told it doesn't really work that way, so they can't just just do that. So I made made the effort. I'm holding out hope, but there's there's approximately 0.0% chance that Pete Carroll would decide to coach in the Pac-12 again. well, I guess it's not the Pac-12, would become a Big Ten coach with Washington. Like, that's not going to happen. Um, I I mentioned it. I'm, I still kind of have my visceral reaction to the dork from San Jose State, but he's probably going to be someone that's that's on the list. And I'm not going to refer to him 
as as the dork from San Jose State anymore uh, because that's disrespectful. And he's he's a he's a man that uh, deserve deserving of respect. And uh, Brent Brennan um, and probably doesn't look as dorky as I say, but Brent Brennan, who are some of the other names that have that have been ba- bounced around? Lance Leipold at Kansas, Lance. Chris Kleiman at uh, Kansas State, or uh, yeah, excuse me, at Kansas State. Um, see, when you fire a coach, you go opposite, right? You 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 go in a different direction. You when could, you, you lose a coach, a, yeah, when you would hire it, you would hire a defensive coach. If you were firing your offensive minded head coach, you would go defense. But because you're losing an offensive minded head coach, the world's your oyster at this point. Yeah, or you know, you look for maybe you look for the next Kalen DeBoer. Um, Leipold and Kleiman are are cut from that mold. Small school guys, a lot of success. Uh, well, Kleiman, I mean, small school Kleiman. He he was he was at uh, the FCS juggernaut, North Dakota State. Um, Leipold was a uh, the the he he broke Gil Doby's record uh, for fastest to one hundred wins in NCAA history at Wisconsin Whitewater um, <laughs> did a good job at Buffalo and had Kansas winning nine games this year. So that's a, that's DeBoer esque that climb there. Um, I think Dave Clawson at Wake Forest is interesting. I know there was, there was some interest um, in him, maybe both ways when they hired Kalen DeBoer. Uh, he had Wake winning probably at a level above what you'd expect from Wake year in, year out. They went four and eight this year, but um had been fairly consistent before that. Dave Doran at NC State. I, I don't know. I mean, he's been there 11 years and seems pretty committed to them. He was the one who put out the call for uh, fans to get more involved in NIL after the season ended. So maybe there's some frustration there. Maybe he'd some look at Washington funding. as yeah a better a better uh, route to putting together a more competitive roster that way. Um, they they should uh, they should be able to. Um, attract some interest here from a number of ACC big 12 type of head coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, thought about putting Jake Dickert on there. I just, I don't think they'd, I don't think they'd go there. I don't know that Washington would hire Washington state's head coach. And I don't know that he's got the, the experience and the profile uh, just yet. The apple of everyone's eye last time was Matt Campbell. The, I think they finished with a winning record this year. Uh, They've obviously gone through some changes and some challenges in the post uh, Brees Hall, Brock Purdy era. And could you see that being something that's revisited? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much interest there was on his end the last time around. Um, He was connected to the search. I don't know. I don't know that like, having a bit of a step back over two seasons at Iowa state is a major deterrent. I think it's kind of generally accepted. You're not going to win eight or nine games a year there every year. It's a different job. Um, Since Purdy, their offense has not been a lot to write home about. And, you know, I kind of see them hiring a head coach. Who's got a little bit more proven track record on that side of the ball. But um, two cycles ago, he was the name. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. most people expected him to wind up at USC and would have said that was a good hire for USC. So I could see them revisiting that, um, you know, especially conference realignment. There's such a huge gulf now between the SEC and Big Ten and everybody else. You know, do you prioritize getting into one of those leagues? Does Is that now more important to a coach in the ACC or Big 12 uh, than, than it was? And I think Jed Fish becomes part of that conversation as well. He's now taking Arizona to the Big 12. You love this suggestion. You love Jed Fish. You would be so thrilled if they hired him. Um, 10 wins this year after taking over like the worst program in Power 5. Mm-hmm. Um, moving to the Big 12. Doesn't have a contract extension done yet. Got a really talented young redshirt freshman quarterback. He's recruited well. He's an offensive guy. He's got some Seattle ties. One year with the Seahawks. Got a couple former UW assistants on his staff. There's a lot of connections there, Danny. There are. Now, I think this is anybody who has been a long-term listener of the podcast will know that I uh, was not inordinately impressed with Jed Fish uh, 
during during his tenure as the Seahawks quarterbacks coach in 2010. He is a very nice guy. I'm clearly he is a very very to achieve what he achieved at Arizona, which is not only a, a program that look they've made consecutive terrible. Like they had a lot of debt coming around from the coaching hires that they made from Kevin Sumlin, not working out from rich rod. Like that has been a, they have not experienced a lot of success and he was probably the, the least well-known of the coaches that they've had there recently and had a really unexpected amount of success. So I, I don't want to be someone who my own, surface level not very deep understanding of his acumen as a as a coach and the fact that it was in 2010 which is a long ass time ago at this point to to sort of sour that that said going to the big 10 and the kind of football and the kind of even this season in which they had such a good offensive line and looking at the 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 need for strength and and size that I think is going to become important. I'm not I'm not sure if Jed Fish is what we've seen from him in Arizona. You think like, oh, that's the exact sort of thing that's going to allow you to thrive in the Big Ten. But look, he's he's someone that is certainly going to be. Uh, he's got head coaching experience. He does have uh, a system and a format on that side of the ball, and he's got a pretty impressive recent track record of success. Is uh, Kellen Moore a hot enough NFL head coaching candidate to cross him off entirely, or do you think they can make a run at him? Uh, I'd be shocked if Kellen Moore... If if they want to hire Kellen Moore to be a head coach, I, I would think that they have a strong chance at that. Um, I don't imagine him getting much interest as a as a head coaching candidate this time around. Um, the The fact that that the Cowboys have have performed as they have after his departure and what happened, their quarterback was hurt with the Chargers this year, but th- their offense didn't look good. I just he's not someone that's ever had head coaching experience. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, it would be a leap. Um, you would do it on the 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 idea that he's so gifted as an offensive coach that you could attract top level offensive talent right away, maybe in the portal and and you know, he'd be like I think if they announced tomorrow Washington's hiring Kellen Moore as its head coach, I think he'd be generally well accepted. He's a name around here, he's got name recognition, he's from the state. His um, dad's dad's a freaking his, legend from over in Prosser has never had to recruit a day in his life I know, and has never run a program. So I'd be, you know, the, the lack of head coaching experience at any level and the fact that he doesn't have any experience with the college grind, at least from a coaching perspective, um, that would give me pause. You know, yeah. I think Chris, he would come highly recommended by Chris Peterson as just as a, as a mind. And, you know, I don't know that he knows anything about him as a teacher. He was obviously blown away by his, study habits and the way he conducted himself even as as a freshman right on redshirt freshman there at Boise State he's told that story before um yeah I I I think you're better off with I mean I don't know that Kellen Moore is necessarily a better candidate than Ryan Grubb yeah Grubb at least fair understands the college infrastructure and and the grind that recruiting is and you know it's not like a guy can't learn that but I just I think a career NFLer going to college that's that's a tough move hear me out we pitch coach pete on being mentor to kellen moore for the first year and a half of his tenure at washington he has to he has to be there as kind of the big brother every step of the way to monitor it do you do you think do you think we can get that can we sell them both on that how about CEO, yeah, Pete that's what I'm talking about. Oh, CEO P. Carroll, P. Carroll, COO, COO Chris Peterson, <laughs> offensive coordinator Kellen Moore, defensive coordinator Jimmy Lake. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, no, um, yeah, 
I was looking, what was the name of the Tulane coach that was there when Troy Dannon, because he moved to, did he go to Houston? Willie Fritz? Willie Fritz. Yeah, he took the Houston job. I saw the suggestion from Nick Daschle from down, down Vancouver way that Jonathan Smith, his buyout is not so large that you couldn't take the money that Alabama is going to pay you for Kalen DeBoer, pony it up to get Jonathan Smith and bring him over. Now you'd have to convince Jonathan Smith to break his word to all the Spartans and become, become hated in East Lansing. And maybe Jonathan Smith doesn't even take your phone call. Is that interesting at all? Washington is owed $12 million by, mm-hmm. um, by Kalen DeBoer, by Alabama. Uh, Jonathan Smith's buyout at Michigan State is only seven million. So you, you'd come out ahead, even. Um, you can pay. You can pay off Bob Hopkins or Mike Hopkins with the with the extra. It's happened I've been, before. I've I've been I've been told I've been told that 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 the UW men's basketball team is fun and exciting to watch this year, and I'm being overly negative. Wouldn't see this is what's this is this is just college football, right? Like you. The same fan base that is understandably upset that its coach just left after two years, four days after taking him to a national title, the thought is thrown out like, well, maybe we could get Jonathan Smith to leave Michigan State after a month and a half. Dude, man, it is clear in 2024, there is no time for scruples, for ethics. It is screw your neighbor because rent is due. We got to get dog the, eat we, dog, man. We, that's exactly right. And you do not want to be wearing milk bone underwear. We just took it's it cold. in the shorts. And if somebody else is going to have to feel the wrath of that, that's just the way it goes. It's a cold, cold world. Um, <laughs> do you, uh, are you, are you hopelessly pessimistic about the future of the program um, based on this? I mean, do you, because like, I go, it's like going back to the point I was making before Sark leaves for USC and there's some bitterness because of the way he handled it. And you know, maybe had a little bit of a phony personality to begin with, but at that time, you're not losing your entire roster. There's no transfer portal. You still got to sit out a year to transfer. It's way more likely guys are sticking around and they immediately upgraded by hiring Chris Peterson. So yep. that was, it didn't take long for people to think, Hey, this is great. This is, he, you know, he'd recruited at a level that allowed Chris Peterson to take that program and take it to the next level. It was set up well. Um, Jimmy Lake getting fired. I think people knew that that was not a program that was as bad as it had been that year. And that if they hired the right coach, they could pretty immediately be a good bit better based on the current roster. Now there was the transfer portal. You still had to come in and re-recruit those guys. Kalen DeBoer did it. He did a really good job of it. Now you've already lost just to graduation in the NFL, all your best players. Yep. Or at least most of them. And, you know, you've, you've got normal attrition that's going to be hard to replace. Now you're also going to lose a ton of guys to the portal. You're going to have to restart. Whoever takes the job is going to have to go into the portal, probably take a bunch of their own players with them, frankly, and the circle of life moves on. Um, and it's just like, like, I think that's what stings the most is it's not like he took them to the mountaintop and that's where he left the program. This is not a 14 and one program going into 2024. It's something very different. And I think that's what leaves the most sour taste for most people. Yes. And all of that is very fair and very true. Um, first, I've been a fan of this program when it's been 0-12. I've been there when it lost at home to Nevada Reno under Gilby. I watched the coach lose his job over a gambling pool in March Madness. I've seen bad things happen and I know that I'm going to remain a Husky fan and there will be points in the future where Husky football brings me a great deal of joy regardless of who becomes this next head coach and how bad 2024 turns out to be um I do feel that these past two years have been exceptionally fun and I'm going to be grateful for them this is an incredibly inopportune moment for it to happen and it is going to be very, very hard in the in the short term. I'm confident that they are going to hire a coach who is going to see the Big Ten and being at Washington specifically in the Big Ten as a significantly improved opportunity over where they are, probably 
in either the ACC or the Big 12. And and kind of, I'll be excited. They're going to bring a lot of their players with them. And next year, next year is probably going to be tough. But it was going to be tough even if Kalen DeBoer stayed. The, the other part, and this is the big picture, and I don't have really any sort of argument or I'm not participating in revisionist history, I would just like to point out that everybody's excitement when Washington left to the Big Ten, and not everyone, but the excitement that people felt about, oh, Washington has saved itself. This was, and I recognize that that might have been the best available option off a list of really bad choices, that there wasn't any good decision to make there. But I would just like to point out that Washington is in the food chain, not as high as maybe people thought back when that departure happened. And we've now watched that the two people, the athletic director and the football coach, who were tied to that decision, have now made their own self-interested sort of in the same way that Washington said, hey, we can't stick by Wazoo and Oregon State. We've got to do what's best for ourselves. That's that's kind of what Jen Cohen and Kalen DeBoer have both done. And so any desire to get really righteously angry at them, well, there's a certain amount of Washington started walking down this path itself when it decided that it was going to bail on the Pac-12 and go to the Big Ten. And that there are some reasons that I am just generally angry at the changes that have happened in college football and college sports in general. And I think that stinks, but I'm still going to remain a fan of the school and it's where I, it's where I went to college. And I love the people that I feel worst for are, are certainly the players that are being left behind. Not, not the guys going to the NFL, but the, the players on that roster, it, it stinks because quite frankly, I'm not sure how many of them are going to would have an opportunity to go with Kalen DeBoer to to Alabama and all the guys who who maybe reconsider their their recruiting decisions I I'm not sure how many of them are going to have offered I don't know if any of them are going to have the opportunity to go with DeBoer to to Alabama and it's just a it's a it's a crappy way that it's going to play out but this is this is the world that not only is Washington living in but it kind of chose to participate in so on Montlake launched on March 2nd 2023 uh we're still not to the one year anniversary good god so let's hey let's see let's what else what 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 else can we pack into into year one here um i would encourage folks to subscribe follow along on this this new journey uh we're now all on together as we uh await to see who washington's next coach will be and the staff they're going to hire and the players they're going to bring in. Good Lord almighty, Danny, is that roster going to look different uh, on day one when they, they come out at Husky stadium and in, in September, it's going to, the program is just going to be unrecognizable from one year to the next. There will never, um, it'll be unprecedented at Washington. There will never have been a, a year quite like that where it's a, an all new coaching staff or, you know, we'll see, maybe there's an internal promotion and there's a couple familiar faces still around, but, uh, I, I don't know when we'll talk to you next. I don't, you know, there's, we could, we could have another emergency podcast here in a couple of days. I don't know what would have to happen, but, um, I, what a, what a week, man. It's one national championship on Monday, coaching search on Friday. What a sport. <laughs> you know, the one person who won most out of all of this, Jimmy Sexton, Jimmy Sexton, Jimmy Sexton, <laughs> Jimmy Sexton's bank account how much money did he make just off of the new contracts that they signed today? Like just off of DeBoer, Norvell, Sarkeesian. And I, I don't know if Lanning, they even needed to sign Lanning to an extension. The Oregon did a great job getting him in, uh, getting him on that buyout. I'm surprised they agreed to such a huge buyout, but he must, he kind of seems like he's just happy at Oregon. I, I will tell you what, we'll, we'll see how all of this plays out. I think that that is an incredibly smart decision by Dan Lanning 
And and I don't I think say so that. Too. I've even joked about sort of like, oh, having a coach that can't beat Washington. I think Dan Landing's a really good coach, and he obviously can recruit his ass off. Oregon's a great job. He's never going to hurt for money, and you're never going to face that level of scrutiny that that you do face when you take one of those jobs in the SEC or at Florida State or wherever it is. Look, if he decides that's where he wants to stay, I, I think that's a really smart move. I don't know when we'll talk to you next, but we will talk to you next. I promise. <laughs> uh, we'll see you.